Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibell. Literary Speaking is the author's guide to writing and publishing, sharing tips and tricks for aspiring authors. Crystal Lee's expert guests will bring you the latest information on how to write and publish your book into being. Are you ready to tell your story? Here's your host. Welcome to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee. Today, we're talking with Drew Harper. Drew is the co-author of the just-released memoir, Space at the Table, Conversations Between an Evangelical Theologian and His Gay Son. Drew and his father partnered together using Kickstarter to draw awareness and both raise funds to print the book when Christian publishing houses refused to do it. Whether you're looking for, whether you are a Christian or a member of the LGBTQ community, or just someone looking for a new understanding on bridging the gap between our beliefs and our reality. I believe this book is one of the most necessary tomes of our time, and I'm really excited to have Drew here. Drew, welcome to the show. Hi, Crystal Lee. How are you? I'm great. What really inspired you and your dad to write Space at the Table? Well, I think it was uh, the experience of having gone through what we've been through together and becoming increasingly aware uh, over the years that our ability to stay in relationship, despite how difficult things had been for us, was not necessarily the case for most uh, people like us, most conservative Christian or conservative religious families and gay kids. Um, there was just so much brokenness in relationship uh, at that, uh, within that demographic. And so we knew that our story was sort of um, universal, but also unique. And it was my dad who actually pitched the idea to me several years ago. And at the time, our relationship wasn't, it wasn't as strong as it has become. It was still going through, I think, a lot of the, the more dark and difficult times. Uh, but he said, you know, we, we really ought to write a book about this at some point, and my response was something along the lines of, yeah, well, we'll do that once we actually feel like we're in a position to give anybody any advice about staying in relationships. <laughs> uh, but as the years moved on and, and both of us grew and were able to move towards each other in this conversation, um, it became it became pretty clear. And then what happened was in 2014, um, I was in Egypt putting on a play, and uh, this play was one that I believed in quite a bit. It's been written by a friend of mine and then ended up going um, to, and having an off-Broadway run in New York. But before it did that, uh, I took it to Cairo because it was a show that was about the Egyptian Revolution. It was about uh, a woman, a, a large part of the story was about this woman who'd been raped and who had to decided to tell her story in a book and publish a memoir about her experience um, which came with all kinds of difficulties and taboos um, in Egyptian society. Um, but she did it because she felt like she could be a voice for the voiceless. And 
as I was over there putting on this sort of you know, secret reading, and we did have to do it in secret because it's a very political play and you know, it was kind of um, dicey to do over there. Um, I got this email from my dad saying, you know, I think it's time that we write a book. And he really sent me kind of the first draft. It was a very long email. <laughs> the first draft of what kind of eventually became a lot of his sections of of the manuscript, um, just kind of telling me uh, from his perspective, you know, the story of our relationship as father and son. And I can remember sitting there, uh, and I talk about in this, this in the book, I think in the epilogue, I can remember sitting there on my friend's roof garden, you know, pretty close to the pyramids, just crying <laughs> as I read this mm-hmm. and feeling just emboldened and that, you know, just kind of feeling this call uh, that it was time to go ahead and, and do this project. So that was the impetus. And really, in the book, it's kind of got this amazing layout where it's really a conversation between you and your father. We've got, mm-hmm. you know, your father's views and how he's been raised and brought up, so his beliefs mm-hmm. are so strong. And oh, then mm-hmm. in enters Drew Harbour, this bright, <laughs> intelligent boy that's just, <laughs> So, you know, it, right from the get-go, you know there's something special about you because you're just so well-read for a nine-year-old and you want to go to the opera. You don't want to go to baseball games. <laughs> and so it was really cool to see how you two worked through that conversation. But um, you wrote about going through conversion therapy because when you were about – it was about 12 years old when you started to realize, you know, I think I'm different and I think I have these feelings for other males. And so you went through with conversion therapy. And I think when I read about it, I've I've heard of people doing this. And, and for me, on the opposite end of the spectrum, that is so passionate and such an advocate for the LGBTQ community, I couldn't imagine. And it was so heartbreaking because some of the things they said and tried to make you believe about yourself, not your parents, but the, the therapist, you know, it was just awful, and I, I my heart broke. What do you find was the defining moment for you when you realized, you know, this is not helping me, and I need to step away? I would say that what really changed that for me was falling in love for the first time. Because mm-hmm. when I first fell in love, um, and it was with my best friend in high school, and we had this um, sort of beautiful... Um, albeit secret <laughs> relationship, um, my junior year, his senior year, uh, when I really just was surprised by joy, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and surprised by the the love um, and uh, and and purity of this relational reality that I had with someone else, all of a sudden, a lot of this what I call the the ex-gay logic, which is the, you know, within the sort of ex-gay, you know, conversion therapy world, the the paradigmatic dogma uh, that sets up their whole um, ideology around why people are gay and how you cure yourself from being gay, et cetera, and that it has to do with, you know, your relational deficiencies, either with your father or with, you know, other people of your gender and that, you know, and, and really that there's this core idea um, that that gay people, their love for each other is, um, it's sort of, it's broken. It's the word, that's the word that they choose to use, that it's, that it's not, um, that it's not sort of the real thing. 
and mm-hmm. that it's not uh, you know a reflection of God. It's sort of a, a twisted, broken reflection of, of God. And and when I fell in love for the first time, I knew deep in my soul that that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And then I think so that was what happened at the at the heart level and the gut soul level. What happened at the intellectual level, which was an important development for me because I was such a kind of cerebral in my head kid was that I went to Egypt for the first time, a place that I continued to go to um, and live in over the years after. But when I went for the first time at 17, um, being confronted with a country where millions and millions of people believed something differently than I did and believed it fervently and, 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 uh, and, and were nuanced human beings um, who were no different than the human beings that I had grown up with in my Christian community, that really kind of blew blew away my paradigms about the exclusivity of Christianity's hold on ultimate truth. And so those two things, kind of the thing that happened at the heart level, relational level, and then what happened at the intellectual level kind of converged in a perfect storm at 17 years old. And, you know, I I went what felt like kind of overnight from being a Christian youth leader and, you know, a uh, worship team leader and in ex-state therapy and, big, you know, person at my church and sort of model Christian boy to saying, well, screw all this. I don't believe any of it anymore. <laughs> and, you know, quite the, I tend to do things wholeheartedly or in extremis whenever I do <laughs> Well, everyone, you're listening to Literary Speaking with Crystal Lee Quibble, and today we're talking with Drew Harper, author of Space at the Table, Conversations Between an Evangelical Theologian and His Gay Son. Tweet with us at Writer Crystal with the hashtag memoir. When we come back, we'll talk about Drew overcoming drug addiction and how he used Kickstarter to get his book out into the world. We'll be right back. Your story is begging to be told, but do you know where to start? Crystal Lee Quibell is dedicated to helping you achieve your book's publishing dreams. Go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com, and sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter today. Welcome back to Literary Speaking. I'm your host, Crystal Lee, and today we're continuing our conversation with Drew Harper, co-author of Space at the Table. Drew, in the book you write about becoming addicted to crystal meth and how it sort of took away any shame or torment you had felt, you just felt free, but after you came down from the high, it sort of caused such grief for both you and your parents, and your behavior while using became so reckless that you were sort of on the brink of death. You know, either it was going to be an accident or and you became suicidal. What do you feel was finally brought you back to life to stop using and to start living again? Well, I would say that the thing that really um, sort of was the, the linchpin in, in redefining my, you know, and changing my relationship to crystal meth and to, I think, to drugs um, in general Um and and I want to say that, you know, redefining and changing because, you know, I think that for anyone who's ever struggled with addiction, it's a it's a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that you don't you don't get cured from or, or just, you know, sort of overnight, oh I'm I'm you know, I'm done with that now, I've moved on. It's always something you're you're dealing with. Um it's really it's a, it's, that's a conversation in and of itself, you know. But um but I think what it was for me was going back to going back to Egypt again during the revolution. Um, that was really, I would say, the, the the key impetus 
for that process um, beginning. Because when I went back to Egypt in 2011, I hadn't been um, since I was 17 and since I'd had that sort of transformative experience um, as a teenager there. And I went there for what was supposed to be a period of three weeks um, working on a documentary, uh, actually about heavy metal musicians and uh, I'd sort of been working on that summer uh, for a filmmaker in New York. And uh, I went to to Cairo and ended up staying three months, um, not doing any work on the documentary, but <laughs> but <laughs> learning a tremendous amount about what was happening on the ground in terms of these people, um, many of whom were my own age, um, fighting uh, passionately and in the midst of uh, tremendous danger um, for uh, this sort of dis- this belief in and freedom that they wanted, um, and and that that just really, I think it it galvanized me that experience and said to me, well, what is what is your life about, and what is important in your life? Um, and I had had you know sort of a a, a, a rather um, not frightening but but um, unusual and um, unique uh, spiritual experience um, right before that where I felt like a, a member of my family, you know, sort of reached across to me from the other side, uh, a member of the family who I had loved very much who had died. And so I was in this place to just be receptive to that kind of a message going over there, this message of, you know, what is your life about and, and what is what is really important. And then I would say when I came back from Egypt, I met someone in New York who um, was uh, an activist in the gay community and was a scientist and who had worked really, really hard um, at the sort of center of developing these um, anti, these anti-HIV drugs, these ret- retrovirals, which now a lot of you know, gay men are on, PrEP and TEP, et cetera, and, and in getting those, specifically in getting those out to the most vulnerable members of the community, which were, mm. you know, often cases people who were who were using crystal meth or who were at high risk for HIV transmission. And I saw this man's just, his life dedicated to this and, you know, having left this high-paying job to just sort of work with these people um, at kind of a guerrilla level um, going out and, and, and getting this help and, and necessary medicine to them and um, in order to stem the tide of HIV infection. And he was another huge inspiration for me. So I would say that it was actually the positive inspirations of seeing what mm-hmm. I wanted my life to look like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. I first saw your book on Kickstarter. I believe it was Aspen Matus, uh, one of our past yeah. guests, that had posted it on Facebook. And when I saw it, I was blown away. It felt like the kind of book that had to be published and so necessary. Mm-hmm. And I was curious then, why wasn't a traditional publishing house publishing this book? Well, um, we went to – so our we got signed with an agent in 2014, this sort of wonderful kind of – Christian publishing world power agent who had had a lot of bestsellers. And um, in fact, he had owned one of the biggest independent Christian publishing houses for many years before he sold it to Random House in the early 2000s. And then after that, just did author management mm-hmm. and agent thing. He took us to sort of three or four of the big, very conservative Christian publishers. And it was important for us that we go with a Christian publisher and specifically a very conservative one as opposed to a more mainstream one um, mm-hmm. because we felt that that gave us the best opportunity to get this book into the hands of the people who needed it the most. 
And that was something I had to kind of, you know, make a decision on early in the process. Or, you know, are you going to kind of market this to the liberal, um, you know, more gay accepting uh, mainstream establishment? Um, or are you going to try to get it to the people who who really need to hear this? And, and what does that mean for you in terms of sacrifices around your own voice personally as an artist, how you express yourself? But it also had ramifications in the world of publishing because when we took it to these three um, companies, uh, publishing houses, they all came back to us and sort of across the board said, we love this, we want this, um, our boards won't, they're, they're not going to let us touch it. They, there's just a, a lot of content in here that they're not comfortable with, they don't want to, you know, they're afraid of the kind of position it would put them in. And so um, sort of the logical next step would have been for us to go to a, a more mainstream Christian publisher. But our our agent um, is so passionate and was and he was so passionate that this book needed to be in those you know Christian bookstores um, that he he uh, he said you know what I've I've owned a publishing company before with great success I'm going to do it again and he felt that there were a lot of authors actually who he had encountered over the years um, who just hadn't found their their place in market um, because of like the the reservations of, of some of these houses or, you know, just other, other factors mm-hmm. that, that cause an author not to find this place. So Don decided to start Deal Books and, um, you know, got some investors, got some amazing, you know, seasoned professionals who he had worked with and also some young kind of young bucks um, who were really talented and put together this crack team. Uh, and the Kickstarter became a central platform for us from the beginning because we knew that, and it was about raising money for the cost. That was important. But, like, you know, I think we Don could have easily gone and gotten that money elsewhere. I think what, mm-hmm. what was so great about the Kickstarter for us was that um, I think we had around, like, 700 contributors, yeah. um, which for a Kickstarter for a, for a book is just a lot. It's, yeah, there's a lot know. of yeah, there's a lot of people who attempt to do Kickstarter and it's really hard for authors to kind of I was curious about that how it worked for other authors and for yourself, you know, in terms of getting contributors, but it's a fantastic platform for just getting your, your book out there. Yeah. It is and it, and it really forces you to go grassroots from the beginning. Mhm. And we just we just talked to so many people, and so many people felt, as as you felt, Crystal Lee, that this was a book that needed to be published, that was desperately mm-hmm. needed, you know, as our publisher felt the same way. So so people just, it, it struck a chord. And so people started telling their friends, and friends told friends. And so not only did we raise, you know, the amount that we wanted to, but we raised it through a ton of small contributions. There were a few larger ones, but not not really, not a lot. It was mostly, you know, small contributions, mm-hmm. and that was so exciting um, for us because it meant that we were going to have a built-in, um, you know, uh, campaign team, you know, from the beginning, which was great. And then, so it's been a week, and yeah. when I when I went to buy a copy, they were sold out, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's only the first week, so you completely it, it is. Well, and actually, the book is not yet officially released. It is. It will be in stores oh, and officially right. released on the 23rd. So oh, Amazon started selling it last week, and they've had to reorder three times, <laughs> which is great. I think the That's... first two reorders they did were pretty small, and then today mm-hmm. I just talked with my publisher this morning he said they ordered a much bigger one today so that's that's so amazing I love hearing that 
did you find, you know, with Kickstarter, was there sort of a secret to success with it? Was it just word of mouth? Was it, you know, setting setting up a budget that was, you know, within a range that could be attainable with all the contributions being in small amounts? Um, I, I would say that it was all those things. It was also we had a really great we had a really great filmmaker who did a really good job on our video. You know, he just he worked with us and consistently um, uh, just made made all the adjustments that I wanted. And I, I was you know I can be kind of a diva sometimes, especially when it comes to making art. And um, he was just super great, and I was super proud of the the product that we had as far as the video. I felt mm. that they um, had the right voice and struck yeah. the right chord with the demographic we were looking to reach. Um, you know, if it had been a book that was aimed at, you know, the gay audience as opposed to the evangelical Christian audience, um, it, I think the video would have looked a lot different. But the video did what it needed to do uh, and, and and was a great, you know, I think a great piece. And so that was a big part of it. Um, I think that resonated with a lot of people. And then, yeah, just just talking about it, talking about it and, and sharing it on Facebook. And I, I'm not one who likes to share things on Facebook. It's hard for me because I feel like I'm like annoying people or shoving <laughs> you know, my stuff down their throat. But, but I had to like, I had to believe that this yes. was a project. I had, to, I had to believe enough that this was a project that needed this and then say, no, no we, this deserves your support. This deserves your mm-hmm. support. And then what was great was that the, you know, the the resonance with that was just overwhelming. People said yes, 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 over and over again. What do you think your advice would be for children who are currently struggling with coming out to their parents, where they they know, and and not just Christian parents, but any parents really, because I think it takes a lot of bravery to come forward and say, you know, I this is who I am, and and how how would you advise, you know, somebody that was going through what you had been through. Um, well, I'd say run over, buy our book, and stick it inside a bigger one, you know, and read it secretly. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'd say, you know what I would say? I would say, this is a journey. It's a journey I'm still on. And I talk about that in there, about, you know, we, we think of coming out as being this neat little thing that happens once. But it isn't. It's something. It it's a journey of self-discovery. It is, and you know, like we we are fortunate that we live in a time where um, where everything is being questioned. You know, not just the traditional heterosexual heteronormative structures, but even the the gay. You know, sort of the the, the traditionalist gay interpretations and the and traditionalist gay identities about you know, what it means to be gay or straight or bisexual and are these categories even real? And that's one of the reasons why in the book I identify as queer and I talk about being queer as opposed to being gay, you know, even though gay is on the title, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, for me, queer is important because it's an identity that's that suggests being always in flux and always just always, always adjusting and, and questioning. And I would say to them that the bravest thing you can do in life, uh, in the issue of sexuality or anything else, is to ask questions that matter, to ask questions that scare you, and then to have the courage to follow up and find the answers to those questions and continue finding the answers to them. And that journey will bring you 
more joy and more peace um, than anyone anyone else's approval um, or acceptance could ever give to you, and, and no one can take that kind of joy and peace away. That's something you have between you and yourself, and it and it's it's godly. It's absolutely glorious. Wow, I absolutely love that. Everyone, Drew Harper can be found online at zealbooks.com. His book, Space at the Table, is now available on Amazon for order. Enter to win a free copy by visiting me online at crystalleekweibel.com and sign up for my newsletter to receive after-the-show Q&A bonus material. As a newsletter subscriber, you'll be automatically entered to win a free book every week. Join us next week as we speak with Brad Harper, Drew's father and co-author of Space at the Table. Drew, thank you so much for being here. I'm just so honored that I got a chance to read your story and share it with everybody. I'm delighted, Crystalie. Just delighted. Absolutely. I'm so excited for the future for you and your father and this amazing book. Everyone, please go out and buy a copy. It's just, it's beautiful. I'm your host, Crystal Lee, everyone. Keep writing and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Literary Speaking with your host, Crystal Lee Quibell. To start discovering how you can begin telling your story, go to crystalleequibell.com. That's crystalleequibell, Q-U-I-B-E-L-L.com. And sign up for Crystal Lee's newsletter. Join us again next week for more advice from your favorite authors and publishing professionals. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.